0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Herman, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Lee Phillip, MD-PhD. I'm one of the PGY-4 Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Residents at the McGovern Medical School, University of Texas Health Sciences Center in Houston. It's my privilege this morning to be interviewing for our PMR Report podcast, Dr. Brian Bruell. Briefly, Dr. Bruell completed his Bachelor of Science in Biology. With a minor in chemistry and bachelor of arts in kinesiology from san francisco state university followed by his doctorate in medicine at the university of east ramon Magsace memorial medical center going on then to later complete his m.a in exercise physiology and master of business administration as well he completed his physical medicine and rehabilitation training with Baylor College of Medicine here in Houston, Texas, followed by a pain medicine fellowship at the esteemed University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Since then, he has established himself as a renowned pain medicine researcher, educator, and leader in the field with numerous national, international lectures, presentations, and peer-reviewed publications. Currently, Dr. Bruel is an interventional pain physician and physiatrist in private practice at Sci, Pain, and Spine, with offices in the Woodlands and Sci Fair. He has held previous faculty positions at UT Southwestern, UT MD Anderson, and Baylor College of Medicine, and is currently an adjunct professor of pm r at the McGovern Medical School at UT Health in Houston, Texas. Notably, Dr. Bruell is the current president of the Texas Pain Society and past president and co-founder of the Cancer Pain Research Consortium. For our listeners who were not able to be physically present for Grand Rounds, Dr. Burrell gave an outstanding and very informative lecture entitled "Electrocuticle Innovations in Pain Modulation. We are very grateful to have this opportunity to interview with him for this podcast as well. So without further ado, Dr. Buell.
2: Hi, hey everyone. Uh, my name is Emily Phillip. I'm one of the fourth-year uh, residents here at the McGovern Medical School PM&R program. I'm joined this morning with Dr. Brian Buell, who just gave us an awesome Grand Rounds lecture on innovations for pain modulation. Um, so for starting off, Dr. Barra, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean um, for our listeners with regards to electrical innovations?
3: So I, I mean a field of neuromodulation, which is sort of a subspecialty in itself of physical medicine and rehab and pain uh, management. And what it is, is using electricity sort of as a way to control pain, and I looked at it during the ground rounds as uh, similar to pharmaceuticals and Mm -hmm. pharmacologic management, where you would use electricity in terms of dose, in terms of targets, in terms of mechanism of action to help control someone's pain and, and hopefully improve their function. And can you
2: give us a sense of kind of where this arose, like, you know, the history of how someone figured out that electricity could even do this?
3: Right. So it, it, it was way back in uh, probably the Melzac and Wall uh, theories when they discovered that potentially closing the gate to, uh, the closing the gate for pain transmission of certain neural fibers would help in reducing pain by limiting the transmission of what we call C fibers, which are, are really slow fibers that travels up the spinal cord. Um, if you close that gate and open the gate of something that's very uh, minor, like uh, touch. You replace the painful sensation with a minor pleasant sensation like touch or or, or, or a nice tingling sensation. So this was uh, what was thought of as something to help for pain uh, many decades ago. And then more recently, in the last few uh, decades, uh, this has really looked, transformed into the field of neuromodulation, where you use um, electricity and implant certain electric uh, electro, uh, um, uh, electrodes in neural targets or near neural targets, so you get a more profound reduction in pain. So this all came up with, my, my topic came up, because in the last five years, there's just been a tremendous amount of technology and understanding of pain control when you apply certain doses or currents or... Um, or waveforms into an, into a, a neural target, and that really reduces some, some uh, pain risk. So what
2: kind of patients would this be an option for their listening as far as looking into neuromodulation?
3: Uh, patients with, in, in the United States, the most common patient that we see that benefits from this type of technology may be a patient with uh, uh, persistent pain even after uh, back surgery was performed. Uh, uh, patients uh, with something called complex regional pain syndrome seem to benefit from this uh, quite a bit. And those are the biggest targets that we have right now in the United States. Uh, we can also use it for more novel-type things, uh, including uh, studies showing that it might be helpful for peripheral neuropathy, and um, We've had experience in patients with cancer-related pain due to uh, chemotherapy. A lot of those patients uh, tend to get neuropathies, and these neuropathies are really painful in their limbs. And so there's been some experience with that as well.
2: You mentioned. That involves, you know, a potential implant. So is this something that you look at as a first line of therapy or treatment for your patients? Kind of what's your thought process in deciding who may benefit from
3: this? That's a very good question because typically it's not the first line therapy uh, for many patients with uh, pain pain issues. uh, Many different things you could try first that are beneficial and that we know that work. Some of the things include physical therapy modalities, rehab modalities, um, an exercise program. Even for some patients, weight loss seems to help with uh, gaining better pain control. What we also know is that pain can affect someone's behavior overall. And by addressing behavioral components of pain, Uh, either by psychologic intervention, you could potentially get really good outcomes. Now, I would submit that doing some of these more invasive type things like a spinal stimulator or something called a peripheral stimulator uh, for pain control might be a little bit earlier on in the treatment plan if you're looking at a patient with um, reliance on a lot of uh, medications. Sometimes the medications are helpful for the right person uh, to improve function, but sometimes if that's the only thing that you're providing for the patient, what happens is long-term, you develop a very uh, bad tolerance to these uh, medications, and sometimes um, doing something like this modulation would be uh, very beneficial to, number one, reduce the reliance on medications, and number two, overall, Help with their uh, pain and function.
2: Can you give us a sense? I know you kind of alluded to the fact that this technology has progressed and developed, um, and it seems like you're saying maybe most recently in the last couple of years for some of our trainees. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what you mean?
3: So I think in the last five years, there have been a lot of. clinical trials for some of the uh, neuromodulation devices out there. Uh, The clinical trial showed uh, much improvement in patients' pain, particularly um, those with persistent pain after back surgery. Um, Prior to the last five years, we used to always think that pain in the low back, just the low back with the actual pain, uh, was never controlled very well with spinal stimulation. However, in the last five years, there are a few studies showing that there is really good um, evidence that axial low back pain can be covered very nicely with spinal stimulation. Prior to that, it was always thought that it only helped for leg pain and um, limb pain. And so that's very exciting. Over the last five years, also more uh, evidence has showed that there might be an effect of the stimulator on patients with um, patients who do not like the the, the and paresthesias are you feel the stimulation in the area where you normally hurt uh, but this is a very mild and pleasant stimulation but some patients just don't like it they get irritated by another uh, type of sensation just to cover the painful sensation So, over the last few years, uh, the uh, devices that we use allow us to give good pain relief without the need for paresthesias or stimulation. So, many of our patients may uh, have not liked the spinal stimulator because they had unwanted paresthesias or unwanted stimulation in areas that didn't normally hurt. But nowadays... You can use this spinal stimulator and not feel any cartilages and get rid of the pain relief. So those are two things that um, are, are are big in in the field of neuromodulation right now. I think in the future there's more more exciting things to come based on the the research that's happening currently.
2: And that basically leads into you know what my next question would have been, kind of like where do you see this going? Um, as far as either other applications for it, even within pain or outside of
3: that? Yeah, so that's, that, that's very good because this is what's exciting about this field is that there are so many um, opportunities for us to use this technology uh, in a more novel setting. Uh, now, of course, this is not FDA approved yet, what I'm, I'm talking about, but what's exciting about the field is that we're finding a, a, a lot more about the mechanism of why this actually works. And by finding out a lot more of why it works, we can apply that to different, to different things. Uh, for example, in the world of pain, wouldn't it be wonderful to figure out an objective way to measure pain uh, where currently we have subjective uh, reports from our patients, subjective questionnaires, um, and also uh, our physical exam is really subjective because we can't really measure pain. But I think in the future with technology coming out and our understanding of the mechanisms of action of why stimulation works and our understanding of the spinal cord and dorsal column with regards to uh, pain modulation, I think we could potentially use some of this technology to figure out why people hurt and 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 the signals that are produced in someone with intractable pain and potentially modulate that. And I think that's that's the most exciting part of uh, this field right now is because we're able to understand what happens on the cord level with regards to pain control. Now moving forward with regards regards to electric stimulation, it would be very interesting to see how our understanding of the mechanisms of pain in the spinal column translates into something different. For for example, could we potentially understand why there's neuroplasticity? Could we potentially understand how we can use this knowledge that we're gaining for motor recovery? Uh, and so this is a lot of uh, new things to come, and I think it, it will happen within our lifetime. And we could figure out how to use these this stimulation uh, device in more novel ways to help our our patients.
2: That's really wonderful to hear. Um, I'm probably especially excited about that, just because I think there's obviously, as you said, a lot of research potential. So, you know, if I am a patient with one of the the pain disorders that you mentioned, I guess, what should I be looking for or expect, and what my treatment team may look like? Um, how long am I going to need this implant? Is it going to completely get rid of my pain? Kind of, what's the what should we? What can patients expect?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question, Doctor Phillips. I think that the approach to pain, regardless of these nuances and 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 advancements in uh, electric modulation, the approach to pain is always going to be the same. First of all, you have to look at the uh, what the uh, Health and Human Services Task Force uh, defined as the five pillars in, of comprehensive pain management. And so I'm going to review the five pillars because regardless of an implant, you really have to consider the other ways to treat pain. Um, and so one of the five pillars, obviously, is pharmacotherapy, which means uh, medication management, uh, potentially with reasonable amounts of opiates, or maybe no opiates at all, but some type of pharmacotherapy uh, is one of the pillars. Another pillar would very much be um, what we call functional restoration using a rehabilitation technology, so physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, you could even have recreation therapy, and vocational therapies. And these therapies help the person with chronic pain get back into the world, get back into function, but get back into vo- their vocational choice. Uh, number three, and very, very important, I don't I, I don't want to not stress this, is that there is a psychologic therapy component um, and because um, pain really changes someone's behavior. Pain really changes someone's outlook in their life. And sometimes, when that happens and it controls their whole well-being, uh, something called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has a lot, of, a lot of evidence behind it to help people uh, through these, these issues. Uh, number four, and what I'm, I'm a fan of, is because I do it a lot uh, for my patients, is interventional therapy. And that's where the interven- interventional therapies, as one of the pillars, is where neuromodulation um, would, would be housed. And the fifth and, and, and important one as well is something called complementary therapy. So, complementary, complementary therapy includes acupuncture, includes massage, includes um, nu- nutritional-type uh, programs that, that patients would potentially uh, uh, improve from. And so, so where does the stimulation technology fit in? It, it fits in to this comprehensive program. And so if, if someone's suffering from chronic pain and they've done a lot of these different uh, um, treatments, a lot mm. of times stimulation really fits in perfectly, but that doesn't discount the importance of the other pillars uh, because stimulation will physiologically hopefully control pain, but it doesn't necessarily treat someone's depression and anxiety that's a result of their chronic issues with pain. And so you need a combined approach to help patients uh, move forward and have a better quality of life. Absolutely.
2: And for, you know, as far as involvement or um, other stakeholders, like what does your clinic look like? Is it interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary? What can a patient expect?
3: Well, our, our clinic, we we have, um, so I'm in private practice, and we have two anesthesiologists and me as the lone physical medicine, and rehab doctor. However, um, all of us were trained in a way that we provide comprehensive care. Um, so unfortunately, we don't have uh, a psychologist in-house. We don't have a physical therapist in-house. But within our community, we have partnered up with certain psychologists and physical therapists and psychiatrists mm-hmm. and <sighs> rural base. So in, in that sense, we have a a, a pra- we practice in a multidisciplinary fashion. Unfortunately, it's not interdisciplinary because we don't get to have those team meetings uh, regularly with all the patients out for other other treatments. Um, so our, our practice is really focused on interventions and uh, pharmacotherapy and we refer a lot to we refer a lot outside of our practice to physical therapy and psychological therapy. Um, so um, I think in, in, in a sense it is comprehensive um, in, in a private practice setting where you don't have everyone under the same um, roof. It's, it's a little bit more mm-hmm. difficult, but it, it's doable if you have those basic components and understanding of how patients get better with chronic pain.
2: And then um, can you speak to, I guess, your experience with how patients have benefited from this, and you kind of alluded to maybe a decrease in pharmacotherapies or decrease in opiate burden. Um, have there been patients, like, for whatever reason, decided to get the implant out?
3: Yeah, so there there are two populations there. Um, I think, Actually, more populations there. I, I think <laughs> the, the, the most common um, population would be those patients who had an implant in the past, and made, I'm, I'm saying in the past, maybe in the last 20 years, and they only had the opportunity to trial or have the paresthesia-type stimulation, what we call classical traditional stimulation, where you would replace one sensation for a more pleasant sensation. So with time, some of those patients found that Potentially, that type of, that not. not. Um, and then we ended up um, having an of the system. Um, so those are some patients that we see, and obvious, obviously I, I've implanted quite a bit of, of those in the past and explanted those. Then we have the population of an implant, either current or in the past, and for some reason, uh, their pain increases. And it may not necessarily be a failure of the technology. It might be that they have new pathology, new issues that the stimulator would not work for, and we would not have implanted that stimulator for that person for that type of problem in the first place. But now, as time goes on, they have a new pathology, and they're saying that their implant doesn't work. So it's the job of us physicians is to find out, well, why do you have this new pain, number one, before calling the technology a failure because sometimes something else happens. For example, they have an implant and all of a sudden they have uh, a new disc bulge um, that Mm -hmm. is acute and the implant's not helping that. Or they have worsening spinal stenosis for which we know that the implant doesn't help for. Or there are other technologies uh, better for that. Or, uh, for example, they have uh, a joint issue, a arthritic issue that's flared, and an implant won't help that because these implants help on neural structures. And so, if something else is is going on, it's not going to help. Um, be wary uh, about explanting those because uh, whatever their new pain issues. From um, you have to identify before moving moving forward with explant. Um, and then there's some good good explants that I've done, very good explants that I'm I'm so proud of. I a lot of times explant patients who have had a spinal stimulator uh, for a certain reason that's time limit. For example, they are a breast cancer survivor and they had a lot of issues with mobility and function and and it was secondary to their chemotherapies and the resulting neuropathy and so in the past i placed a spinal stimulator and 2 to 3 years later they're better and and they're liberated and they feel so um, glad and happy that finally the last bit of their memory of that cancer journey is now out of their out of their body because of an explant so an explant is not necessarily a failure again. An explant could be uh, um, a celebration because you've recovered from that painful, awful time in, in your life, like going through cancer chemotherapy.
2: Awesome. Now, I'm really glad that you still kind of emphasized, I think, what brings a lot of us into psychiatry and human and rehabilitation medicine, which is that emphasis on diagnosis. Um, of, you know, whatever may be their primary pain pathology or pain gene generator. Um, so it sounds like you yourself also implant and explant these devices. What type of, um, you know, physician or training should our patients be looking out for and if our trainees are interested, and how do they get to where you are?
3: Well, So, so my path was I did a physical medicine rehab uh, residency at, uh, when it was a, There's still a lot of um, alliance going on uh, from the two programs uh, which is great and then i did a, a a pain management fellowship uh through an anesthesia program i went to ut MD anderson where i gained the interventional skills that i then added to over the years uh so i think uh, nowadays to understand and to learn through modulation, I think the best track is um, to, to go to a pain fellowship and, and potentially an accredited pain fellowship where it's expected uh, to for you to really understand the comprehensive approach. Uh, now, I know that there are uh, certain physicians uh, that have uh trained uh, not through a accredited pain fellowship but through other uh, spine and sports type programs that have uh, exposure to neuromodulation and that could potentially uh, be uh, very much um, uh, indicated for a lot of a lot of pathways um, but I think to, to learn things comprehensively a very well-rounded pain fellowship would would be good now Because I'm a physical medicine rehab, but you're a physical medicine rehab doctor, uh, I think we have the opportunity to uh, use our skills in further training, such as a pain fellowship, um, use it in physiatry as a whole. Uh, So I also learned how to uh, implant intrathecal pumps. And intrathecal pumps is a form of neuromodulation as well, but I think that the skills that I've learned on top of the skills I learned in physical medicine and rehab residency and my love for uh, uh, the neurologic system and brain injuries and spasticity, uh, as a physiatrist, you could, you could do both with the added skills that you learn in, in a pain fellowship. Um, and so I think that that's, that's my take on it. That was my path. And I think it's that path is still very much open to a lot of physiatrists out there.
2: Awesome. Do you have any advice for patients, trainees, just anyone who may be experiencing chronic pain or those of
3: us who are interested in helping patients with chronic pain? So for the trainees, uh, when you're in residency, learn as much as you can. Uh, If you decide to, pursue extra training in uh, pain medicine, interventional pain medicine, uh, the skills that you learn in physiatry residency is, is gonna be so important uh, to your future, even if you really focus just on pain intervention, because as a physiatrist, you can work up, diagnose, uh, empathize, uh, refer, lead a team, um, so much better than any other specialties, uh, I think, because of your work in uh, the world of ability and disability and getting people back to function. I think for patients, uh, if a patient is looking for someone to help them and they're in, a, in, in their extreme chronic intractable pain, uh, I, there's hope for you out there. Um, if somebody is only uh, focusing on one pillar, of, of comprehensive pain care, uh, look for another opinion because uh, we don't want you uh, to just uh, be on medicines forever. We don't want you to be a person that is a pincushion for a doctor that's only treating you with uh, interventions. Uh, I think the comprehensive pain physicians uh, will help you in terms of reducing your pain uh, but also improving your quality of life. And if that's what you want, if you want to work towards it, I think a, a comprehensive pain physician, be it an anesthesiologist or a physical medicine doctor, um, with that added uh, comprehensive pain training is the right person for you. Um, so that's that's my my uh, advice to my patients uh, all the time, every day. Uh, and hopefully uh, this talk can influence a lot of other uh and potentially pain modulationists to be uh, to go down this path.
2: Likewise, I definitely hope the same, um, and maybe biased in my in my own uh, you know career and research interests too. But Dr. Burrell, I do want to thank you again for taking the time this morning to kind of go through um, you know how exciting this advancing field is, with neuromodulation, and how we can better impact and care for our patients with chronic impact pain and how our other trainees that are listening might be able to get to where you are. Um, and so with that, I'd like to thank you again. And I know you've got patients to take care of and, and um, go on and, and use all the stuff that we talked about today. So thank you so much again.
3: Okay. Thank you, Dr. Fox.
0: I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.